0: You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Good morning, In Focus. It's great to see all of you. Um, great, I forgot the online audience in, uh, um, in the first service. Great to see all of you that are, well, I actually can't see you. I'm great for you to see me uh, this morning, and I'm glad you're there. And um, I, want to, um, I want to jump right into this, because I'll make some other remarks about uh, pastor and that, but I am, I'm a little jealous. I was asking him, I said, what courses were you in? And I know the speakers, um, and some of them, and, and, um, and how he's being upgraded Right now, <clears throat> at this stage of his life and ministry here, is really cool. I was jealous and, um, of what he's getting and who he's going to become and how he's going to grow over the next few years with you guys. He's just going to be met, better tooled up, so that's part of God's plan. And I think it's really cool that he's doing that and that you're giving him the liberty to do that. And thank you, uh, Pastor Brent and Carla, for letting me be here anytime you stand in another guy's place. Um, place of influence this thing with a microphone and all of that it's a big deal and when you hear what I have to say about what I think about this moment you'll see how important it is to me and how what a big deal I think it is um, I don't think there's anything going on um, in this city right now and will not be this week it's more important than this 75 minutes right here and I, and, I, and you're going well that's because you're a pastor no It's because I read my Bible. There is nothing more important. Now, there are other churches in this area that preach the gospel, follow the scriptures, filled with the Spirit, their version of whatever that is. But they're good people serving God, trying to reach the lost and make disciples. So there are other churches, but whatever they're doing today, in that moment of time, if it's an hour for them or two or three, whatever's going on on Sunday morning... In America, and in right now in this city, right now here, there is nothing that will happen more important than what is taking place in this moment of time. And I know people go, ah, oh, you know, you're a church guy, and that's church, and this is church, and we like to go to church. No, 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 listen. That's what happens to us. You know, you go 52 times a year, then you go for 20 years, now you're 1,000 times a church, and all these different things and you're going. Hey, listen, there is nothing more important and we can never get familiar with what it means to come to this moment. And so I'm here today, my assignment is to shake us out of familiarity. That, that's what I felt coming up here. I've used this little outline um, and I go all over the place with it. I use it in a lot of places that I go because it helps me to remind the church of who you are in this given moment. And uh, it is so doggone important what takes place over these next few minutes. The songs, the, the greeting, the love, all of the dynamics that happen because, okay, now I'm going to preach a, a message of what we would call a corporate message. It's about the church, okay, and this church is specific. So if you're here today and, um, and you're going, oh, because my marriage is just about to be lights out, Pastor Russ. And I was hoping that maybe something in it would be a, a, a word of inspiration for that or something that might help us get through or bring healing. Or somebody else might be on some other kind of relational breakdown with somebody in the family. Maybe a child's gone awry. Maybe you got a bad report and there's something bad in your body and you're going to have to deal with that. And you're going, I was thinking maybe today it would be great if there be a word of faith. People anoint me know with oil. I'd get healed. Or at least be on that path of asking God to heal me. I know. You know, that's kind of the... Problem, I guess, with church, if we thought of it as church only does one thing, and that's what the guy with the microphone's talking about. But that's never all that God is doing. That's the power of this moment. I'm going to preach a message with a theme, with a subject, with a verse, with applications. But that's not all God's doing here. It's, it's a big part of what God is doing here. Right now, my son Aaron just finished speaking in um, Jacksonville, Florida. And I know for a fact that a granddaughter and some of the family members of a person that was in the condominium in Sunrise, Florida, they have not found her yet. She's in there somewhere. I mean, obviously gone. And that family is sitting on a roll in my son's message this morning, how to upgrade your marriage. And they're going, oh, how's that going to help me? All right, I got, I got, we have a dear friend, of, of, we both, a mutual friend with the Gerards and the Austins. That His wife is on her last breath. We're all getting the texts. We know that it's almost over. The family's ready. They actually are praying for closure. She has suffered with cancer, and they don't want her to suffer anymore. It's almost over. A bunch of us will be at the funeral later on this week. And they're, and, and, and they, if they were in church this morning, and then they were going, we're going to talk about how to upgrade the church, how to be God's church, would it work? Would it, would it help? But if, if that's what we thought church was, if it was four songs and a sermon and go home, no. But if church is the gathering of the people of God, to worship, honor his word, and in that expect him to move by the power of his Holy Spirit in all kinds of diverse ways. If we realize that this moment where we come in from outside of that world, in, not to just be protected from it, but to come together, together, to make Jesus primary without the barriers or restrictions of a world that doesn't understand him to worship Him, to be free, to say amen, to clap, to love one another, to relax for a minute in our defense mechanisms that we have to put up as we war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And everybody said, you understand what I'm saying? We come into this moment, church is that powerful, and you come in this moment, and then with the energy and the heat and the freedom, then that person who needs help in their marriage, they hear something from God. They feel His presence. The things that they actually already know, they all find the strength to apply it isn't always finding out what you don't know a lot of times it's finding the strength to apply the things you do know church does that church church does that the thing we call church i'm going to go to church and now I see people you don't go to church we are the church i'm going oh shut up you just that's the dumbest argument i've got why do you argue over such foolish things yes i go to church i have a place i go to church so aren't you the church? Yes, I'm the church everywhere I go. And everywhere I go, the church, and there's two of us, Jesus in the midst of us. I got your little sermon down pat. I've heard you so many times over the last 47 years. I'm sick of you. But I still need to go to one like this on Sunday morning. I need to go gather. I need to go somewhere where people worked all week long to make their songs actually sound like something I want to hear. They work hard for this kind of stuff. I want to go somewhere where, you'll hear why this is important in a minute. So my introduction is about two-thirds of this message, and I end it with the last third. All right, so I'm going to read a Bible verse in a minute. But you have to understand why what I'm about to say is so important. That's all I care. My assignment is that you come to church different next week. Is that you come to church going, you know what? I got to start thinking right when I go to church because I've gotten familiar with it. I've been going for 15 years or two years or six months, but I've gotten a little used to it now. I know where I'm going to sit. I know who I'm going to see. I know how it's going to sound. I know what it's going to feel like. I know who Pastor Brent is. I know who the team is. I kind of get it now. And next thing you know, it's kind of this thing. And we forget how doggone important it is that Jesus is looking on, that his war to bring his kingdom to this part of Georgia, to this city. It centers a lot around what goes on in this room. Don't think that every devil in hell doesn't know how important this moment is. We should know. I prayed. It's a four-hour drive up here, so I set it aside. I had some phone calls I needed to make, some podcasts I wanted to listen to, but then I shut it all down, and I said, all right, Lord, it's me and you and in focus now. And I want to pray, and I mean, I got to war. I I love praying in my truck, driving, because I can scream. No one cares, and I can shout, and I can fight the devil, because I know that there's always some strategy being unleashed from hell to take a moment like this and mess it up. And so, man, I thought, I'm taking my stance. I'm going to get on my armor. I'm going to fight that devil. I'm not going to get up there and just see if I can talk good. I want to see if I can do something that breaks through spiritual forces. I want to break into his territory. I want to take back some ground, and I want everybody at InFocus to come to church different next Sunday. Amen. Amen? That's how important we are. God does all this movement Because we're gathered, and I didn't say this in the first service that I have a little more liberty. They didn't tell me that, I'm just taking it. (laughs) Because I'm not worried about the parking lot now, which I understand, believe me. But you know, which camera, is that it? Is that who's watching me? (laughs) If that's you on the other side of this, is that, not you. I mean, are there people on, that's the camera that's going live stream, right? The people back there are waving at me. I don't care about you. I'm talking about the folks on the other side of it. I'm teasing. And um, if you can come, that's not the same. You need us. You need what I just said, and you can't get that there. This movement of the Spirit of God that happens in a corporate atmosphere of faith gathering, faith gathered people. Now, if it's not safe for you, we get it. But I'm telling you, if you can come and you've gotten used to the convenience, listen to me, I want to tell you something. I was on a Zoom call with Greg Okison. Greg, and you're going, I don't know who that is, and most people don't. He wrote a book called Public Missiology. I read the book. Man, it's a sleeper. If you were gonna run out and buy it, going, I'm gonna go get that book. And, um, but it's, it's an it's a academic writing to academics. This is what he's gonna read for the rest of his next three years, his books, academics writing to academics, not normal people like us. And I'm reading this book, and, um, and then they brought him online in a Zoom call for our Apostolic Council. I'm on the Apostolic Council, whatever that is. And, um, and so they had him talk, and I thought, this is, I've always wondered, I want to ask this guy some questions. And so I said, hey, Greg, I said, what would be your expectations based on what you said about what the church should be? He's a big church-gathered believer. He said, I said, what would you what would you give four expectations you would tell me as a pastor that people should look like today in the context of the West? Forget the globe. The West. He goes, ooh, I wasn't ready for that. But I'll never forget one of the four. I cannot remember the other three. I have not written down. I have to go get my notes, but this one's in my brain. He said, Russ, I would tell you and tell every pastor that they have to teach their people that their church is supposed to inconvenience them. And he said, they don't want to be inconvenienced. They think the church is supposed to be convenient. And he said, everything in Scripture says the church is anything but convenient. That the church inconveniences you. Like, you had to get up and get ready. Now, it looks like some of you didn't, but... But that's okay. I'm, we're glad you're here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, we're glad you're here. I'm glad you came. You know, try a shower and some other stuff next time. But you know what? I'm glad you're here. All right, I got to hurry. Now, this is where I get in trouble time-wise, when I do this kind of stuff. And I just thought, but you know what? It's good to go. I don't want to go. That's why I must go. That song, you just sang it. We'll sing, wherever you lead me, wherever I, will file, whatever it costs. I don't know if I want to go today. If going to church is the bar that we're setting for convenience, we're in trouble. Because the war is a lot more intense than that. So I do think church is supposed to inconvenience us. Now don't worry, that doesn't mean I'm going to take advantage of you now and abuse your time and abuse your privileges and take all your time, talent, and treasure and get after all of that stuff right now. I'm just saying that following Jesus doesn't always feel good, never will feel good all the time. A lot of times we're in a war, we're in a fight with him. While we're on this earth, the only time we'll ever get to fight like this is while we're on this side of heaven. So let's take advantage of it. Amen? All right, got to get back to this. So we all know that it's important. Let's go into our Bibles, because if I keep doing this, we will be here till 4. All right, so John chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. "'Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard "'and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. "'The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. "'But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, "'Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor?' "'He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief "'and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. "'And Jesus said, "'Leave her alone.'" In fact, I'm going to make her a Bible verse and people are going to read about her for the rest of time. I don't know of a time in history in my life when the church is more important than it is right now. The message it sends, what it says to the city, to the people around it, I don't know that we've ever been as important as we are right now. And i got to say this and then talk about these characteristics. But don't... Don't ever look at the flaws of the church. Let's just go west. And don't do it in your own church. But let's just go big so that you don't go specific. And then start asking too many questions in your head and miss what I'm saying. The church is filled with broken people, and everybody said. The church is filled with people that are going to mature. They're going to get better, but they're not where they need to be yet. That's who we are. That's who we've always been. So we get out and we reach another 500 people and stick them in the chairs. We just downgraded in our maturity level. They're not grown up. So when we're the church that is going to be the church, we're always adding immaturity to our ranks. That's discipleship. That's what we're, so we're always going to be struggling along. There's no way around it. So, when people get embarrassed of the church or ashamed of the church because it has problems, I'm going, What did you think? Did you see one in Scripture that didn't? Was there some time the people of God didn't have something going on that God was fixing? Was there ever a time? See, I love the church. I come in and somebody says, This is broken. I'm going, That's probably why I'm here then. I'm dead serious. I'm going, well, let's try to fix that together. Well, aren't you embarrassed about it? Yeah, well, you know what? Did we say we're sorry or whatever we need to do, but let's get on with fixing it because we're the most important thing in this city right now. Who are we going to be? I mean, my church has got more things wrong with it and Carter's got pills. There's always something wrong with it. There's always something I'm fixing, but I have never been ashamed of it. I've never been embarrassed of it. I've told this story many times. Man, I am way off today. So we'll just watch that clock and finish. We'll just quit somewhere. (laughs) But I do weddings. I've done a ton of weddings. I don't do as many as I used to. Hallelujah. They are a time burner, Pastor. If you want to do a lot of weddings, good for you. Hallelujah. I'd rather do a funeral. At least you can preach the gospel at a funeral. At a wedding, they don't even care about you. You're just a needed item so that they can go cohabitate. (laughs) But I've done, I don't know, hundreds, I guess. And here's the thing. i got to go quick. At every wedding, a normal wedding, now they have so many abnormal ones now, Pastor. You do weddings in yards, on top of cars, out in boats, flying out of airplanes. It's just the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But in a normal wedding, I walk out with the groom from somewhere over there. And then we line up. The groom's always right here with me. Sometimes the guys come out a little later, sometimes they come out. Then all the beautiful girls come out with dresses they're never going to use again. They all walk over here and they line up. But then the big moment happens the bride steps out, hopefully with her dad, but today you don't ever know. Sad. But in a good wedding, the dad, the dad or somebody that really, really loves her steps out with her and is proud of her. And she's the most beautiful woman in the room, always. It's just, it just the way it is. And everybody, now, okay, so here's me and the groom up here. Now watch this. Here's me and the groom up here. There she is. And everybody gets up, and all the ladies are trying, looking around. Does she have flowers? Does she have veil? What kind of dress is it? Did she lose that last twenty pounds to get in that thing? Because that's a big deal, right? You buy the dress too small and get down to it. That's that's what you do. You know, good for the brother. You know what I'm saying? So I'm happy for him, and uh, and so I'm, I'm. And so everything's going great, and everybody looks. But now watch. Here's the thing that you don't know. This happens to me every time. Not one time has this not happened. So I'm up here. So just leave me up here, pretend like I'm there, and I'm one of you. And I'm looking at her, and she's beautiful, and they start to walk, and here's what they do every time. They turn, and they look not at me, right at the groom. Every time. Not sometimes, every time. In fact, I've gotten so used to it, and because I'm a little insane sometimes, I'll talk, I'll, I have my mic off, I'm going, wait for it. They'll all be looking at the bride. I'll go, wait for it. Wait for it. You better pay attention. You better be looking right. He will go, what? I'm going, they're about to look at you. You better look like that's exciting. <laughs> and sure enough, they turn and they look. And here's what they're always thinking. What do you think? Do you see her? She's going to take your name. She's gonna be your wife, how you feel about it. Are you like so excited? Why tell that story every Sunday morning? Every Sunday morning, the bride steps to the aisle dressed in the beauties of holiness, every Sunday morning. You think today's not important? Maybe not to you, but it sure is to Jesus. He takes this way serious. And she steps, and she steps, and he's the groom, the bride, and he's the groom. And we all go, what do you think? She's taking your name. Do you love her? Are you so excited? So before you beat the daylights out of that woman, you better be really careful. Be careful because he loves her. He loves his church. See, I've been hurt in a church. He loves his church. I've been devastated in church. He loves his church. I'm not disregarding your pain or what has happened to you walking in a church with broken people, but he loves his church. And he's working with it. And this 75 minutes is a big, big deal to him. So there's five people at this table. i got to bring this message to a close. There's my two-thirds. Five people at the table in this story. It's like the end of a movie. Or actually the beginning of a movie. You know how they do those things where they show a scene and you're going, what in the world? And then it goes three years earlier. And the rest of the movie is all about getting to that scene. That's what this is in John chapter 12. Martha's serving and just happy to serve and making the moment amazing. Mary comes in, extravagant worship. Songs are written about her. The whole room's filled with the scent of the perfume that she pours out on the feet of Jesus. Lazarus is sitting over there eating. Jesus is present. Judas is sitting there not liking any of it. It's the best picture of a church service I've ever seen in Scripture. It's the best picture of a church service I've ever seen. Serving with joy and excitement because of what they've experienced in Jesus. Martha was no longer serving because serving drove her. She was now serving because Jesus was at the table. Mary was not hiding out in a house away from Jesus, brokenhearted because he didn't show up on time. She comes in because Jesus is at that table and anoints him. Of course, Lazarus has got a great backstory. He was dead a few days ago. Now he's sitting at the table eating. And Judas, there's always a Judas at the table. Somebody who's there using that environment for their own gain, never serving it, never giving to it. It's only good for them as long as it serves them every church service has those people in it so what happened to the people so we're going so that would be in focus having a great message to the city that it's in reaching thousands of people for the glory of god what would it look like it would have unbelievable servants but people who serve for jesus now here's where servants break down servants break down all the time whenever they get overwhelmed. When you're when you kind of got that mentality that I serve and I want things to be right, I love those people. They pick up little pieces of paper that are laying on the floor. I went out uh, to get a bottle of water, and uh, because my throat was goofy and I couldn't get it right, and so I thought, ah, so I ran out real quick, and I didn't see anything, and I, I looked at these three ladies. I don't even know if they were servants here. I, they had tags on, so I had hope. And, uh, and I said, does anybody know where I can get a bottle of water here real quick? And um, they said, oh, yeah. And I mean, everybody's just running all over the place. And you could just tell there was this willingness, this willingness to serve. Their, and I don't think it was because I was the speaker. I don't think it was, it was because they wanted me to be proud of their house servants want people to be proud of their house. Like, hey, we take care of folks around here. And whenever, John Maxwell says that, doesn't he? He says, when people walk in the door of this church, they ask three questions. Do you like me? Can you help me? Can I trust you? I'm going to tell you what, that will always be true. When this city walks in the doors, they're going to go, do you like me? Can you help me? And can I trust you? And so if there are servants everywhere, they're looking, Yeah, hey, look, I'll let you know we like you. Servants just make sure that people are welcomed. They make sure that people are loved. Because that has to be our first message to our city, folks. It has to be. I, look, I, I don't have opinions on a, a, to share in anywhere but my own house. I would never go to somebody else's house and go, here's my opinion on the things of the day. <laughs> I would never do that. Except for one thing I would say, whatever your opinion is, it must start in love. It has to start there. However it comes out, it has to come through the filter of God's love and who you're helping in love and how you're getting that help in love. For God so loved the world, first, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God starts in love because God is love. God can't operate outside of love. Everything he does is in love. So servants, by just taking care of people, by making the house amazing, by never wanting anybody to ever come in here and feel uncomfortable, unserved, or unseen. You know how people go, they don't see me servants make sure people are seen that's how they are it isn't just a job description of a greeter or an usher or a thing it's it's a mentality in the church of everybody's going to be loved here and martha does that but you lose marthas whenever they get frustrated with people who won't show up or help she even got mad at jesus she got mad at her sister for not helping went to jesus and complained about it that's what servants do when they're not right They complain a lot. Because the serving is about them, not about Jesus. You have to right-size your serving to Jesus. And then Jesus didn't show up on time. That drives servants crazy. What do you mean you're late? Servants, I drive them nuts because I'm like late to everything. But they servants cover for that take care for that and she was serving herself her serving was important her but then after the miracle of Lazarus Jesus was important his house his people for them and if somebody didn't show up you going, I don't know I'm just serving if they don't do their part I'm doing my part Well, they didn't do their, well, that's okay. It wasn't about me anyhow. It's about him. He'll have to take care of that. I'm just serving. We just keep loving. We just keep loving. We keep loving. We don't worry about what folk don't do. We worry about what we do. All right, so then there's worshipers. Gosh, worshipers are so important in the life of church, but it's more than the singing. Although, I'll tell you what, this worship time up here is amazing. By the time we got the nun, I'm in heaven. You know what I'm saying? I'm going. Oh, this is amazing! All right, we're doing. We're great. All the songs were great, and I just thought they just work. Walk me, walk me, walk me, walk me there, and and I'm going. Man, I'm in they got me to heaven so i love the fact that these people up here use their gifts and talents practice all week a bunch of i don't pay all these folks i don't think i'm sure a bunch of them are volunteers like every other church in america give their time and sacrifice and make that thing amazing and they love and what they want you know what they want you go they they want to be a rock band and be seen by people no they don't they want to see you worship The only thing they want, I promise you, that I I would almost bank my life that almost everyone, if not everyone on this stage, what they're really looking for is for you guys to get lost in the Holy Spirit, for you guys to go for it with every hand raised, hands lifted up, people crying out to Jesus. That's what they're doing all those songs for, to produce an extravagant atmosphere of worship so that the whole atmosphere of the room is changed spiritually. Spiritually. But it's more than just the singing. And these guys are amazing. The screens are amazing. The psychedelic thing, I told the first service, that's rough for me. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at it going, uh-oh, I'm gonna pass out. And I'm just, I got old eyes. I said, don't look at it, Russ. So I, that's what I did, closed-eye worship. I'll just seek you alone, Lord. And, uh, and uh, it's because I'm usually open-eyed worshiper, but on that one, I was like, I can't do it. And uh, I'm gonna pass out like some hippie in the old days. But it's just all this stuff, all the excellence. There has to be an extravagant expression of worship. But it's other things. It's generosity of soul. It's bigness of spirit. It's not withholding from one another. It's not walking in a room going, do you see me? It's, it's being humble. You know what humility is, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is when you don't think of yourself at all. You hear me? If you're sitting there, i got to think less of myself. You're still thinking about yourself. You're as proud as you ever were. It's when you lose sight of yourself because you've fallen in love with other people. And as one man says so beautifully, he said, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus. We use this a South Point all the time. For the sake of others. Why is he changing you? So you'll be a better you? That means you could be everything you needed to be on a desert island with nobody there but you. So I wouldn't transform one thing in my life if I was on a desert island. Why would I go to all that work? For what? I already like myself. You say, you want to be more like Jesus? For what? I'm on a desert island. What, I'm going to be nicer to myself? I'm going to serve myself better? I'm going to learn how to have wisdom for myself? No, no. All that work that God has transformed you for somebody else, not you. And when we get generous of spirit, loving one another, hanging around a little longer, not running out the back door so we can go grab something to eat, stay around for a little while and look around and say, is there someone to talk to? Is there somebody to share my smile with? Is there somebody to hug a neck? Is there somebody to know their story? Say, I don't know enough people in your church. That is 100% your fault. That's a little too strong for a guest speaker. So I just, I just realized that. So I, I repent. I'm sorry. That was a little too strong for a guest speaker. I forgot where I was. Started feeling like I was home for a minute there. That's what I talk to my people like. They're like, oh, oh he's mad again. And, uh, and so, and, but, but listen, listen. Stay and let God use you. When people go, I need more friends. People always have an abundance of friends if God is using them. There's never a lack. You think this seventy-five minutes needs to be filled with generosity, full? You've seen that example, right? Of taking a water bottle and you take a little bit out of it, like take about that much out of it, and then you take another full water bottle. And I did it on stage here a few weeks ago, and had a bucket underneath it. And I'm sure it, I'm sure pastors use it. It's a common illustration. And then I pour water into the two bottles in front of everybody, and I get it right up to the top, and it's full again. And then I put the top on it. I go, this is what everybody thinks being filled with the Holy Spirit is. I said, that's not being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I take the top back off. I get the bottle back out, and I pour it, and I let it just come pouring out of the bottle into the bucket. I go, that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not filling you for you. He's feeling you to splash over into other people's lives. Just generosity. Got to hurry. I have 13 seconds. Listen, Lazarus was at the table. What a great backstory! What's your story, dude? I was dead. Oh, come on. No, no. I mean, like I was buried, embalmed. I was done. I, I was in there. And he brought me out, called me out. I come walking out in gravecloths. What? Yeah, I was dead. Now I'm alive. Martha, going. That's that's what got me turned around. That's what got my brother was dead. That's what got me turned around. I realized I'm all about me, and I was so desperate that none of my serving would change life, but Jesus did. And I thought, oh. Now look at him. I'm watching him eat. I'm serving him. He's here at the table in the service. Every Sunday, Lazarus sits at the table. Because my brother, my sister, you were once dead and now you're alive. You should never drive into this piece of property. And I do it. I try to remind myself all the time now, don't ever go to church and forget you were dead and now you're alive. Because if you'll just remember, if you won't get used to being a Christian... Get used to being a believer. If you won't get used to that, if you'll remember one day you're going to breathe your last breath and your next breath you're going to be in his presence because the hope of eternity now exists in you because you're saved. That your marriage was saved because you were saved. Because your life was saved because you were saved. That your children are being raised differently because you're saved. You were once dead and now you're alive. We should always come to every service going, I was once dead, now I'm alive. That ought to be the first. You ought to look around the room and go, you were once dead, my brother, but now you're alive. Look at you worshiping God. Look at you serving. Look at you giving glory. When we forget the power of the gospel, we lose hope for our cities. But when you remember the power of the gospel, you say, we got to be all this to get people saved. Let me, th- can I take like three or four minutes and let me tell you about the first church I pastored. I've never told this publicly. I'm actually thinking about using this at the Build Conference. So I'm going to practice on your church. If it doesn't work, I'll know. <laughs> My first church, pastored in Midland, Texas, 26-year-old, planted a church. I mean, we didn't know anything. Started in our living room, had no money. Debbie, me, and Chelsea. Chelsea, just a lily bitty thing. Let me just tell you a couple of pieces of my church. My first singer, because that was back in the days when you had singers. You sang solos and stuff. I know I, I'm as old as dirt, all right? I'm sorry. But we actually did that all the time. And there would be always a solo. And this first guy, man, he could sing great. And, but, and then he had a friend that he brought. And I thought, they seemed different. But, man, they were blessing the church and they loved us. They never missed anything. They rehearsed, and they did a great job. They helped us with all of our parties. End of that guy's story. The soloist, he married another man in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a few years later. His friend was walking in the same lifestyle. God used him. <laughs> we had this guy that came in. We had no money. This guy came in. He was the tallest Hispanic man I've ever seen. He was a welder in West Texas, and he's real tall. And he would come in, and he would give $5,000. He was just making money hand over fist. He would give $1,000. But the problem was he would come to church drunk a lot. He just drank. He loved me, Worship. <laughs> Sometimes he worshipped with a little more liberty. My first worship leader... We moved into an office building. It's all the same church in about a two-year period. Moved in a little office building. first time we ever had offices. My worship leader, he was a psalmist. You know what I mean? Pastor Brennan, he's a psalmist. He, he, he it was somebody, when he would start, you, you connected with God super easy. And, uh, man, he was great. Moved down there to do this, to build this church. When we moved from Dallas, Texas to do this with us. Uh, but he met the, a girl next door in a male mix-up. Took some mail over to her. We got your mail by mistake. He lost his family over that. Lost his ministry over that. He's all right with Jesus now. He emailed me not long ago and said, man, I'm sorry for everything. And he said, Here's where my life is. I'm serving God. I was real happy about that. But I'm, I could go through this. You should have seen how bad the church in Midland, Texas was. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Horrible. Right? But I don't despise the day of small beginnings, because my Bible tells me not to. I, I could go through one thing after another. We had more crazy people helping us, and they would come and go and come and go. And Jesus used every one of them. Jesus used every one. He said, "How could that be, Russ? Because my opinion." When Judas is at the table, he's always given somebody a chance to get their life right. Now, I didn't know those things. If I would have known those things, I would have stepped into the middle of it. I would have tried to prevent it. I would have had to have done something different, but I didn't know. Pastor Brent doesn't know what's wrong with you, my friend. He doesn't know. God's using you. Common grace. God's building his church, giving you a chance. Judas loved being at that table because it was all about him. The table blessed him. He was taking money from that table. He needed to be around it, but then he saw a waste of money, and he saw that Jesus was getting all the attention. He saw these people coming in and turning into these great followers, and he knew his life was being exposed. Judas gets exposed in those environments. They're not comfortable there anymore. And you got up from the table and went off to betray Jesus. You'll have people get up to betray and leave. That doesn't mean everybody who left is a betrayer. That's not what I mean. But they're here. You should turn around. You should turn your life around. God's using you, but don't be fooled by it. Don't be fooled by the fact that God is using you. I never have been. Every time God has ever used me, I'm going, Lord, I'm not fooled. I know who I am. I'm not fooled, sir. I never thought that was me. You did it again. Now help me try to live up to what you're using. Help me to try to live up to what you're using. Jesus, ultimately, they're going to sing this song to conclude this service. The best thing at the table was Jesus was present. Jesus was at the center. Jesus was there. They weren't telling these stories if Jesus hadn't showed up. So I you say, why would you tell us that story about the church? Because the church doesn't have to be perfect. They just have to be used. There needs to be filled with great servants. It needs to be filled with audacious, generous-hearted lovers of people and God. There needs to be people that realize every time they walk in here, I'm celebrating again. I was dead, but I'm alive. And if a church does that, I promise you, there'll be an earthquake in the kingdom of hell. There's something that breaks down in the strategies that Satan unleashes on a city, on a people. Churches like this that meet and think like that. Stop that thing in its tracks. The Bible says, he who withholds will be taken away. And when that when he is taken away, chaos will fill the planet. That he, in my opinion, is the Holy Ghost working through the church. The church is God's answer to the chaos and agony and pain of this planet. Please, please, you're an amazing church. You know, I've got to say this and then I'm out. You know what I love about this church, because it's very similar to mine? This morning, my son Aaron, who's two minutes younger than his identical twin brother. The jokes they've been telling the last few weeks are hilarious. And um, and the people are loving it. So they're down there preaching. They're the preaching pastors there. They're taking the church from me here pretty soon. Uh, They've got a whole vision to reach the city together. And it's pretty impressive. I never had one that big. It's big. And um, my daughter works there. Chelsea, she put on a big thing today with water slides and foam things for the little kids. And all the kids showed up in swimsuits. And they had this big deal after church. And she ran that whole thing. Everything she does is big and costs me a lot of money. It's been that way since I've known her. She costs me way too much money. I said, are you ever going to go, like, work for somebody else? My wife is in the center of everything. 66 years old, you'd think she was 50 or 40. She just loves, she's in everything. Drives me nuts. In everything. Loves it. She's so involved. Everybody knows it there. It's part of our culture. Everybody knows it. I've forgotten the first of My granddaughter's 20 now. She works there. I gotta hurry. I gotta get this church big because I got eight more grandkids. I don't know where I'm gonna get them all employed. Leave that to Ryan and Aaron. What I'm saying is our family... All work's there. And I've looked up here today and see drummer, singer, singer, pastor. Well, they all work here. It's the one thing. We're different. Brent and I are different. We're different people. We think differently. Aren't they? Not in tension. We're just different. But that's the same. He says, is that okay, Russ? And I just want to tell you because you won't have hardly anybody else that can tell you what I'm about to tell you. Yes, it's okay. Here's why it's okay. I looked at my sons and I've looked at my daughter and said, you will work harder than anybody else. And I don't want to ever hear you complain about it because I want you to be in love with Jesus. I don't want you to ever build a church. I want you to build him something. Don't build me something. Build him something. If you aren't building him something, please go away. I said, other people, I won't demand as much as I will demand from you. But I demand that from you because we're going to be lovers of Jesus and we're going to show people how important Jesus is by the way we live our life. I've watched my family do it well. I can't say it at home because they think I'm bragging about myself. But I'm telling you that's the way it is. And I have watched this house and it's true here. It's amazing to watch. You're blessed. This house is blessed. It must work. Look how great this church is. When people say, hey, Pastor Rush, your deal worked? Come on down here. I'll show you. I got $20 million worth of building. Want me to brag? Here I go. Paul the Apostle. I got $20 million worth of building. They're almost paid off. We have about 1,500 to 2,000 people that call it home. It's planted churches. It's done a bunch of things. Yeah, it works. Because Jesus makes it work. My family's not special. Jesus is. I just taught them to follow Jesus. Follow him. He'll make us special. Follow him. He'll make us special.